Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm an integrative and functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in well over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs. And I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school in practitioner mentorship where we help other clinicians level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what this show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I would love for you to subscribe to the show, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. Hello, friends. I've got a nice juicy one for you today. I sat down to chat with Rachel. She is the lead practitioner here at The Functional Nutritionist, and she's also lead clinical mentor of The Functional Nutrition Academy, which, by the way, registration is officially open for spring cohort. Uh, Today, we're talking about labs. Last week, I talked about thyroid health and my social media was going off with all of the questions about testing. So we really wanted to focus this week on functional lab testing. Um, this is a great uh, episode if you're learning, if you're trying to understand functional lab testing a little bit more. But it, also, if you're a practitioner, this is a really, really, really good show for you. So tune in, maybe grab a pen, pad a paper, take some notes. Um, I want everybody to understand whether you're a practitioner or somebody looking to become a practitioner, maybe you're studying nutrition, or you're just like kind of like the lay person who's looking to better their health. Being a functional provider is more than just ordering functional labs. I really want you to understand that functional medicine, a functional approach at its core is a root cause resolution approach. We are trying to look for where things in the body are not functioning and get them functioning appropriately. And labs can sometimes direct that treatment. But we have to get really good at understanding when do we order those labs? When is it a good time? We have to be really discerning about the appropriate time to order labs and which labs to order. So that's kind of what today's episode is all about. I also want to take it a step further and let you know that interpreting labs, analyzing the data from the labs, and then taking that data and assimilating it into interventions, into action steps for your clients to create their health transformation, that's a skill set in an art form. And because I believe so passionately about this, I'm going to teach a free masterclass on this at the end of the month. It's going to be a one-hour masterclass using a unique approach to functional lab testing to accelerate your client's transformation. Because ultimately, your clients are coming to you if you're a practitioner because they want to better their health. So it's your job to try to get them there, right? So we're going to do this Thursday, March 23rd at 6 p.m. That's Eastern time. Totally free to sign up. You can head to the uh, link in the uh, in my show notes here. It's going to be 
functionalnutritionacademy.com forward slash functional dash labs dash master masterclass, but just, just go to the link in the, in the show notes. Um, at that class, um, you're also going to get access to a free ebook, which is a roadmap to ordering functional labs and a lab ordering decision tree. So it kind of helps you discern when to order which labs for your clients. And ultimately, if you're sitting back and you're like, hey, why do some practitioners have wait lists and some don't? It, it's because of this. It's their ability to get their clients transformation. Transformative results speak for themselves. When I was getting started, I was able to build up a robust wait list without spending any money on marketing. I wasn't running ads. Uh, I just really focused on my craft. I focused on getting really good at what I did. And I and that allowed for word of mouth to grow my business. I actually talk about this in Energetics of Expansion. There's this vis- visibility and growth framework that I've created. And your craft is at the bottom of the pyramid. You know, so many people focus on getting visible, being seen, going viral, building their audience. And I'm like, bro, can you even get people results though? Like that's really what we should hyper focus on, especially in the beginning is getting good at what we do. And then the growth will happen from there. And what you're going to hear in today's episode, honestly, so much of what Rachel and I are talking about comes from clinical experience. It's doing the work and doing it over and over and over again. That's how you get good. That's how you can start to hone your clinical intuition and your Uh, judgment in your discernment. And this is why I'm a strong advocator of mentorship. Get Because this is the thing. This is where people are like, they psych themselves out. They're like, well, I really shouldn't be running these labs if I don't know what to do with them. Or I really shouldn't be getting into practice or taking on clients if I don't know what to do with them. But the only, like the catch 22 there is the only way that you get good is by doing. And this is why mentorship is so important receive guidance from somebody who has already mastered these labs, who have already developed the skills, who knows what they're looking at, who knows the nuance of the labs within clinical context, right? This is what we provide for you in the Functional Nutrition Academy. There's loads of mentorship. So you're not just going at this blind. You have the appropriate support. So you don't put yourself in a position where you're punching above your weight and doing your clients or your patients a massive disservice with lack of experience. So FNA enrollment, like I said, is officially open and we've got some early bird bonuses if you sign up by March 17th, which is my birthday. That's why we, that's why that's the cutoff date. Um, you, if you enroll by March 17th, you get immediate access to month one modules. So you can start your, uh, studying like right away. You also receive an invitation into our March masterclass, Back to Business Basics. So every single month in FNA, you there are three live taught events. I teach one, Rachel teaches one, and then we have visiting faculty teach one. And so in March, we are getting back to business basics. So I'm really excited about this. This this came in high demand from current students. So you get an invitation into that. You also, I just mentioned energetics of expansion. You also get early bird access to that. That is a really expansive and transformative program. And it's kind of a fun way to kick off the 14 months of continuing education that you're about to do uh, with the Functional Nutrition Academy. You kind of kick things off with some like big time expansion and growth mindset. So March is a big month, man. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot available to you. 
So head to the website, check it all out. And you can always email us with questions. But the first start, uh, first step to applying is to fill out the application form. You can set up a call with our team to see if it's a good fit for you. And we will take it from there. Now, let's get into today's show all about lab testing. Okay, we're recording. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Erin. Um, we're going to chat about labs. And I think that we have, you know, we've been in the functional medicine functional nutrition space for a minute. And so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we take a somewhat unique approach to lab testing, the way we think about it, the way that we do it in practice. And I thought it would be helpful to not just talk about what labs we run and why, but like kind of like why we choose those labs and how we choose those labs and how we bring thought into which labs we're running. Cool. Perfect. Sounds good. Neat. Because we are discerning with the labs that we run. So we're not a, a clinic that like runs the same exact lab test on everybody that walks through the door. That's become a little bit of a of a trend is like there, you could purchase a package, let's say, and that package mm-hmm. is like, let's say it's like a six month package and it comes with X, Y, and Z labs kind of baked in. So we don't take that approach. You pay when somebody's working in the uh, membership with us, they pay us a monthly fee. And then we run labs based on a number of different things, but they're pretty we choose them very specific to the individual in question. Um, just to give listeners a heads up, an episode 220, Hormone Lab Testing, a Non-Algorithmic Approach, I explain why we don't offer a la carte testing because that's a question that I get pretty often on Instagram. Sometimes we'll get it in the support inbox is like, can I order a Dutch test through you? Can I get a Dutch test and an analysis through you? Or can I get a stool test and an analysis through you? And we don't do that at all. And I explained the whys behind that um, in that episode. We'll probably get into that a little bit more. The only lab that we let people purchase off of the website is the Wheat Zoomer um, because it's like a pretty straightforward lab to assess. You know, you order the Wheat Zoomer and then we send you a analysis of it. And like, but that's like really the only lab I would feel comfortable doing that with. Mm-hmm. Um, And then before we even go into lab testing, before we decide what labs we're going to run, we are doing a really extensive intake. So there's a lengthy intake form that folks fill out. We have a conversation with somebody. We meet Mm -hmm. with somebody first. We ask about their timeline that starts to like starts to help us piece together what might be going on. Rachel, I'm thinking about the client that you had who moved to... You remember and you like ran the talks panel on her? Yeah. Yeah. It was, she moved, I want to tell you it was Arizona or Texas, basically out in like an oil field. And within a few months of living there, she just had this massive uptick in symptoms. Um, GI, weight gain, water retention, brain fog, these neurological types of symptoms. And that was just a very clear indicator for me when reviewing her timeline, like, Hey, this is a big deal. Let's evaluate what's going on here. Yeah. And, um, that's why timeline matters so much Mm -hmm. is like, Oh, this all kicked off right when you moved here. When somebody moves into a new building or a new location, I'm like automatically Mm -hmm. thinking mold, you know, like, is there a mold situation here? But because of that, like oil, 
oil country? Mm -hmm. Is that what? You were like, uh, I don't know if this is mold. This might actually be like straight up toxicity. And you were right. Mm -hmm. You found really high levels of, um, is it a toxin from in oil? What the hell was it? I think it was MTBE. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Um, so anyway, that's why we have, we spend the time having the conversation with somebody and listening and putting together a timeline because that can help to figure out which labs do we need. We're not running a tox panel on every single person that walks in the proverbial door. Um, yeah. So why don't you kind of talk about the, like, or just kind of tell people the two big functions of lab tests. Like why do we even run lab tests to begin with? So my thought process is functional medicine lab testing is we want to look at functions that are occurring in the body. And the main reasons we run these is to identify a root cause for our patients or start to piece together part of their root cause, because rarely is it just one thing that's their root cause. And then at the same time, when we actually have the data in front of us, when we're testing and not guessing, this can be very motivating for our patients to actually see, oh, this is what's going on with me. This is why I should change my diet. This is why I should change my lifestyle and potentially take supplements as indicated. Because if we're just throwing things against a wall without data, it sometimes we can lose motivation. We can kind of lose that, that gusto behind it. So my thought process is behavior change and piecing together some of those underlying factors. Yeah. We see that a lot in your hormone revival too. And just mm -hmm. seeing the actual, like the data doesn't lie, the numbers don't lie. And so sometimes it's the data that can really drive change and motivate someone to make the appropriate changes. Um, we, I, we actually just got off with a Functional Nutrition Academy call. And um, one of the students was, she was, you know, we were going over a case study and one of her patients um, was dealing with some, a lot of, a lot of different things. And I was like, you know what, this is, she's a really good candidate for doing some stool testing. She was just kept coming down with every single virus that she got, came in contact mm -hmm. with, super low energy, had been on rounds of antibiotics, was dealing with like a lot of um, anxiety. And we know the brain, gut brain connection is so huge. And she stopped and she's like, the reason that I haven't run the GI map, we'll get into stool testing in a little bit, is because there's so many foundations in basics that haven't mm -hmm. been covered yet. And I'm like, chef's kiss. I'm like, this is the way that we want to think about lab testing. It's not, we're not just barrel rolling right into lab testing. We're taking a step back and making sure we're working on the foundations. And then the question that she had is like, how do you know, like if somebody hasn't done the basics, but they're not like super highly motivated to do the basics, like if we're still working on them, but they're not really like, you know, how do you know when to bring in labs? And for me, it's like when I think that the data can actually motivate people to make change. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to bring the labs online, even if the basics kind of aren't on lock yet. Sometimes it can motivate somebody to bring uh to, to like actually do those basic things, the foundations, if you will. Um, but you have to have built rapport with somebody in order to mm -hmm. assess that, you know, you know, like you can't just assess this, you know, through like a, like a, you know, and I don't know, like an email or something, you have to kind of <laughs> build a relationship and build rapport in order to figure that out. Um, speaking of the foundations, where do you like, cause both of us practice in very similar ways. And we like to start with the foundations before we go on to lab testing. So where do you like to start? 
I start with, I call it the big five sometimes when working with, with patients. I, a biggie, and I know that you talk about this a lot, is blood sugar balance. We can't balance our hormones. We can't support our thyroid efficiently with if, if blood sugar is just up and down throughout the day. So in my initial appointment, I'm always asking about blood sugar balance. If a patient feels like they have mastered the basics in terms of glucose management. And if not, we will walk through that together. I, at the same time, am evaluating diet just for a low, low, a low inflammatory diet. I want to make sure that they're not consuming tons of alcohol, tons of added sugars, processed foods, refined seed oils, and things like that. Um, that's a biggie. Um, in some cases, we do need to evaluate for food sensitivities, which we'll dive into a little bit in a little bit as well. And then nervous system support and sleep, they kind of tie into one another, but I want to make sure somebody feels, I, I want to assess their stress levels. I want to make sure that they feel like they have adequate tools in their toolkit to manage stress, whether that's breathwork, meditation, yoga, you name it. Um, and then not so much what they're eating, but also how they're eating. Are they slowing down at mealtimes? Are they chewing their foods appropriately? Sometimes we're evaluating for stomach acid in my work together with patients at the very beginning. Um, are they eating a banana as they drive to work, rushing out the door or what's going on around meals? That can be, that can be a biggie there too. That, um, yeah, same, same, same. And I, you know, there are been people who have applied to work with us and we're like, you know, you're not like really necessarily a super great candidate for the higher level functional nutrition, functional medicine interventions quite yet, you know? And so then we'll send them to our programs and like, Hey, like let's mm -hmm. dial in blood glucose management before we start, like let's dial in those basics first. Um, and so we, you know, it is our shared belief that the best practitioner is not the one who can order the most labs, but the one who can use the most discernment with which labs to order. I even like, you know, I was like kind of bragging earlier. I'm like, I'm getting better and better and better at getting people more results with less labs, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like being like really, really discerning, uh, like yeah. you know, picking labs with, with precision. And we love labs. Our practice is a labs-based practice to be clear, but it's not all labs all the time. And we, we have both seen um, clients come to us from some of the like more predominant functional medicine facilities where you're spending like five to $10,000 to get all this lab work, all this data and then some of it they don't even look at, some of it they don't even use, some of it's not even relevant. I have had clients come to me with like legitimately like 30 to 40 pages of functional mm -hmm. lab testing that nobody ever went over with them, that nobody was like, hey, here's why we ran this lab and here's what we found. And that that shit really pisses me off. I, I you know, I know we have practitioners that listen and I we also have, you know, people who are just looking to better their health. What I would say to you is that if your practitioner can't explain to you why they're ordering a lab, what they're looking for, what they hope to get out of it, 
then that Mm -hmm. should be a red flag. And on the other side of that, once you have the data back, if somebody's not spending time to go through the lab data with you, that's also a red flag. You and I spend time going through section by section. Mm -hmm. And we often give people, or we always give people the option to record that so they can like, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's a lot of information we're throwing at somebody. So I always want to give people the ability to like kind of go back through. And I've had many clients like go back and watch their lab review sessions and then come Mm -hmm. up with more questions to talk about. So that's something to like really, really think about as a practitioner, but also as somebody who is seeing, um, seeing a practitioner as well. And we can't forget our show sponsor. You've probably heard that the human body is mostly water, but what you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is about 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for health and for fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Kian Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day, usually a couple of times a day, for muscle and for recovery. Kian Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing, and tastes really good. So if you want to naturally boost your energy, build lean muscle and enhance athletic recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. You can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com forward slash funk. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com slash F-U-N-K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. And when I start to feel my stress and anxiety kick it up a notch, like Emerald Lagasse, I personally lean on Ned's De-Stress Blend. It's a certified organic formula that features two powerful plant compounds, CBD, and then the lesser known CBG, which is considered the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is for anxiety and stress. De-Stress Blend also features ashwagandha, one of my favorite adaptogens, And I think I say that about all the adaptogens, but ashwagandha was my gateway into adaptogenic herbs. So I do have a special love for it. Invest in yourself and fortify your stress response. Get 15% off of Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. 100%. And I think there is sometimes such a thing as information overwhelm if five, six, seven labs are ordered for a patient at the initial appointment, is it realistic to try to review that volume of labs in an hour-long visit thoroughly? I don't think that it's realistic. I don't feel like that's feasible for the clinician or the patient. Yeah, that's a good point. You're like a little bit of like a slow burn. You like, you trickle out the labs. (laughs) You like titrate yeah. out the labs. You're like, okay, yeah. next month, maybe we'll get, you know, and like, that's, that's a really smart way to practice too, I think, because it's like, okay, if we're not moving the needle with the data that we have, maybe we need more data. Um, whereas some people will practice, let's just get all the data up front and mm-hmm. then figure it out from there. That just yeah. can be really, really, really expensive, really, really fast, that approach. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the meat and potatoes. Um, 
our personal labs, there's obviously so much overlap between me and Rachel, but um, I'll be like your hype girl. I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, that, that. <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> I have, you know, there's a couple of like favorites that you have and there's a couple of favorites that I have. So your number one top of the and pile, do not pass go, do not collect $200. What is the first thing you're doing? I, I want to see blood work ideally on everyone. And I know that we say that we don't play, we don't practice template based medicine and we definitely do not. But as in an effort to be a responsible clinician and functional medicine practitioner, we want to make sure that we aren't missing anything major as it relates to blood work and just foundations. We want to make sure that our patient's liver function is looking good. We want to make sure that checking, we're checking in on blood sugar. We want to look at their thyroid. We even want to look at kidney function and just kind of nip things in the butt before they become an issue. Um, again, this totally depends on where a patient is coming to us at and when they've had blood work done. If blood work's been done within three to four months of my first appointment with the patient, it's not always necessary for us to repeat a panel immediately. We might be doing it two to three months into treatment just to check in and evaluate and expand upon additional labs. Um, it is worth mentioning that the way that we interpret blood work is a little bit different than the interpretation provided at a GP or a PCP. And Wait, Typically. before we get into the interpretation, can you just define like what you mean by blood work? Yes. Or like, um, what are you, what does that mean to you? So typically at a GP or PCP, you would be getting a CBC, a complete blood count, a CMP, which is a comprehensive metabolic panel, 50-50 if you get a lipid panel with that, which would look at your cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides. And then sometimes we might get a partial thyroid panel, which is TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Sometimes you get free T4. You're really, really lucky if you get T3 tested. Um, and so I want to see all of that and then some on my patients when we're working together. Um, what's a CMP? So in addition, like what's on a CMP? Oh, good question. So on a CMP comprehensive metabolic panel, we are looking at your, so included in this, we're going to get liver function. We're going to get kidney function, um, glucose. So your blood sugar at the time of the blood draw 50, 50, if that includes A1C or not. So hemoglobin A1C, this is a marker that looks at your average blood sugar over a three month period. And then it usually does not include insulin. Um, I like to see insulin in addition to a CMP, um, comprehensive metabolic panel. And so what I'll do is, and I should rewind a little bit. Um, the reason I like to take a look at insulin is insulin is this marker that insulin is basically, um, it controls how sensitive our cells are to blood sugar. It's a hormone. And insulin will become elevated before we start to see elevations in blood sugar and glucose and A1C. And unfortunately, many docs won't be willing to test and order insulin unless somebody has already shown to be diabetic or pre-diabetic. And so I want to see insulin in addition to a CMP on my patients to catch things before they become a diagnosable issue. That resonates. Yeah. So, okay. So, cause I'm, I want to, you know, or 
creating this for like the lay person, just assuming like you yeah. don't know what lab work is, but then also for practitioners who might work with the lay person. Cause we, you know, we'll definitely yeah. have people come in and they'll, or like somebody will message us and they're like, I've already had, my doctor's already done all the blood work. I'm like, all mm -hmm. of it? all the blood work, right? But but that's what they think because they've gotten a CMP, they've gotten CBC, they've gotten a lipid panel maybe. And so when you look mm -hmm. at all these labs together, it can be like four pages of like labs. So to yeah. them, that's a lot. Like they've test, they've looked at everything, right? Maybe there's a TSH yeah. on there. And so what I really want people to understand is that when you go to your PCP or GP and you're like, do the blood work, what they're going to do is what Rachel just said. And that's a great start, but that's not as thorough as Rachel likes to see it. So Rachel, in addition to comprehensive metabolic panel, CBC, which is what they're traditionally doing anyway, maybe a lipid mm -hmm. panel, you also like to see insulin. What else do you like to insulin. see? I want to see, I definitely want to see a more robust thyroid panel. So again, when you ask your GP to test your thyroid, it might be TSH and T4 if you're lucky. I'd like to see T3, so total T3 and free T3. I'd want to take a look at thyroid hormones to rule out any signs of Hashimoto's. And I'd also want to look at a marker called T3 uptake. This looks at, is your active thyroid hormone actually able to get into your cells? And then another thyroid marker called reverse T3. So it just gives us a more comprehensive picture of, of what's going on for sure. That T3 uptake can be a little controversial. I've had many people say like my doctor won't run that because it's not valid, but you see clinical utility in that marker. I definitely have, um, especially with patients where we are concerned that there's something going on hormonally. Oftentimes, if there's an excess of another hormone present in the body, we can see low T3 uptake. So um, to break that down further, it's not unusual in our estrogen dominant patients, women who have a lot of estrogen in circulation, to see reduced T3 uptake. So that estrogen is competing with the thyroid hormone. And Perfect. it can be clinically yeah. significant. Yeah. Um, and people can go scoot back to last, I think it's last week's episode where yeah. I talked about thyroid stuff. Um, so we're not making Rachel do like a whole thyroid physiology lecture. Here. <laughs> um, and then you had mentioned glucose and we like to see fasting glucose. And so that's not yeah. something, you know, like I don't really, like if you just go in for lab work and nobody tells you to go fasted, chances are you're probably not fasted, you know? So you, mm -hmm. so the glucose that you might see on a doctor's you know, so a, a, like a traditional CMP might not be fasted. That doesn't really have a whole lot of utility in my estimation. So when right. we're sending people to get lab work, we're saying fasted so that we can see yeah. fasted glucose, fasted insulin. And then we also like to pop the hemoglobin A1C on there as well. If, if somebody doesn't have that, like you said. Yes. Um, and then in addition to that, so on your comprehensive metabolic panel, your CMP, we do take a look at your electrolyte status, which can be just really helpful. A lot of us are burning through our electrolytes rapidly with stress, with um, regular sauna use, with exercise as well. So I love to evaluate that for my patients on a CMP. And then in addition to this, I, I love using blood work to assess certain nutrient markers. 
for patients as well as a very foundational approach. If somebody is coming to me with immune system dysfunction, with fatigue, I'm not implying that there aren't other root causes going on contributing to that, but B vitamins, vitamin D can play a big role in this as well. So we just want to make sure we're not missing any of that as well. Yeah. You're like a little bit of a sneaky snake with the comp panel. Like you, like you like are looking, I don't know. You like find things like you like hunt for clues. I'm like, I would never have seen that. And you're like, Oh, but what about this? Actually I had Rachel create the comprehensive metabolic panel modules for FNA just because she really is like such a whiz kid. You've also seen like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the nutrients is one. And then what about, um, what else do you like to see in addition to what somebody would see on a standard, you know, comp panel? I do like to take a look at, um, so I look at homocysteine. Homocysteine looks, it's a good way to evaluate your, it's an indirect marker for folate and B12 status. So the higher your homocysteine is, that's associated with lower B vitamin status. It's also correlated with inflammation in the body. So again, we're, we're zooming out, we're taking a look at the bigger picture and I like to take a look at HSCRP, it's high sensitivity C-reactive protein. So this is specific to inflammation in the blood vessels, and this can be a really good marker to monitor throughout treatment, especially if a patient's presenting with just a lot of inflammatory activity when they start with us. So are you looking, oftentimes looking at homocysteine and HSCRP together to kind of get a sense of like overall yeah. inflammation? Exactly. And then I'm also taking a look at their blood sugar because that definitely plays a role. And then I'm looking at this marker. It's called ANA, anti-nuclear antibodies, which this becomes positive or it can become elevated when there's autoimmune activity present in the body. And the unique thing about ANA is this can go positive for up to five years, oftentimes before an autoimmune disease diagnosis is made or before we get massive tissue destruction. So I've, I've worked with a lot of patients where we finally have a positive ANA and maybe there's some autoimmunity kind of festering, but they're not presenting with your quote unquote typical autoimmune uh, symptoms, or they get a workup by their GP and all of their antibodies are negative. And that's when it's perfect. We've, we've caught this before it becomes a diagnosable issue as well. So I, I love testing ANA to try to nip things in the butt sooner than yeah. later. I you keep saying nip things in the butt. Is it nip <laughs> things in the butt or the bud? This is like, butt. that's like a very arid thing to say. Well, I thought it was we're butt, gonna but maybe it's bud. We're going to have to fact check and cross-reference that. Um, but I will, that I do like a shout out to the ANA because um, this just came back with a client of mine where it was like just wonky things going on and ran mm -hmm. a comp panel on her thyroid. Perfect. Blood sugar. Perfect. Inflammations like zero, like, like everything looked good. The only wonky thing was that ANA and it's like now, and, and we like, there's like a little bit of like, don't freak out yet because a positive ANA is not diagnostic for like you have an autoimmune disease, right? There's three stages of autoimmunity and stage three is like the tissue destruction. And, um, mm -hmm. we can catch things, you know, most people don't get the diagnosis until it becomes like so far gone that there is tissue mm -hmm. damage. So ANA is like a real shining star. Obviously autoimmunity is near and dear to my heart. Um, but when you, when we see a positive ANA, that's, um, 
that's like the time to like, it's like go time. Like let's intervene and make some really mm. profound changes in your body. Um, and it's, so that's, that's one that I love. So anything else to say about blood work or is that kind of like, that kind of sums it that, up? That sums it up. It's mostly the big takeaway here is oftentimes your typical blood work that you would get at your GP is just not going to be robust enough to give us a full analysis of covering our basics, thyroid, blood sugar, nutrient status, inflammatory markers, kind of like you mentioned as well. Yeah. And like, the, the, it's not irrelevant information that you're going to get from yeah. your PCP, right? Like all of that matters and it's going to rule out some of the big scary stuff. When we, you know, yeah. the classic saying, when we hear hoofbeats, we want to go looking for horses, not zebras. Oftentimes mm -hmm. in functional medicine, it's kind of our job to go looking for the zebras, but we can't overlook the horses, yeah. like the real basic stuff. Like, yes, Dutch test, super sexy. Yeah, GI map. It's like glamorous. It's all the rage to talk about. You're going to get more Instagram followers, but like you have to have the ability to like actually analyze like just basic lab work too. You know, like the, 100%. we can blend conventional labs with functional labs. It's not an either or, it's not a one or the or the other. Agreed completely. And and on that topic, speaking of the GI map, that is, I don't like to see a GI map on everyone, but it is a very foundational lab that I'm I'm running very frequently on my patients. Yes, we do see a lot of patients at the clinic with digestive issues. On the other hand, we see a lot of patients who don't have major digestive issues, but they're coming to us with these autoimmune concerns, these skin issues, they're hormonal issues. And that's where when we think about our gut being home to so much of our immune system, it makes sense why we would want to take a, a deeper dive and look at what's going on in our microbiome, what's going on in the gut when we're treating any type of immune system dysfunction or concerns. Um, at the same time, when we think about our hormones, we, we poop out our hormones. That's the final step of excreting them in our body. And I know you mentioned this a lot, but hormonal imbalances are not somebody's root cause. If somebody's coming to us with issues with their hormones, we, we want to look upstream. We want to look upwards. How is the body clearing hormones in the first place? And so that's another reason I think this is one of, you practice with this test a lot too, but the GI map is definitely a, a biggie for me in practice as well. It's a biggie and I would love you to talk about, um, I'm going to just piggyback on this because this is one of mine as well. Um, and I will say that in the functional medicine space, I think we can be a little bit overzealous with like running stool tests on everybody. The microbiome matters, like nobody's going to discredit that, but we, our digestion is a top down process. And so it's our digestion literally starts in the brain. Uh, and then we go to the mouth and then we go through the esophagus, mm -hmm. the stomach and into the small intestines. And then there's the bile and then there's the large intestine. So we can't like the microbiome is in the colon. It's the, the last, it's the end of the whole mm -hmm. shebang. And so for starting there to me, that's a problem in practice. Like this is a, the very first part of the GI modules for FNA is about this north to south process because you want to work in that same direction. We're not just here to order stool tests and call ourselves functional providers. And what I'm seeing is that there's kind of like two schools of thought. And um, I'm curious to hear your thought on this. Like one, and I feel like this is kind of like a newbie practitioner maybe is like, 
see anything on a GI map and kill it. Kill, 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 murder, murder, murder. Mm -hmm. There's any elevation, oregano oil and all these like, you know, antimicrobials and just go hard, go hard. And then there's, I feel like the more I, like there's a school of thought and I think they're the more seasoned vets, the more like people who have been doing the microbiome medicine for a longer time where are, are more of a kind of like a laid back approach where it's like the comment, like let the commensals do their thing. Let the opportunists kind of like, do, you know, can I live? Like let them, let them live yeah. a little bit and see what happens rather than trying to kill everything dead. We also want to thank our other show sponsor. This one is for my low-carb Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary, dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly. Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. And I want to take a sec to shout out Organifi Green Juice because I have had my family drinking a lot of it lately. We recently had our well water tested and guess what? We found out that we have arsenic and uranium in our drinking water. Not crazy uncommon for New Hampshire, but still pretty gnarly. So I'm using Organifi Green Juice as part of a gentle detox support. It's got wheatgrass, moringa, spirulina, chlorella, matcha. All of these dense green powders can be extremely supportive here. The green juice also has a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that I love for stress reduction, relaxation, healthy immune system, healthy hormones. It comes in two flavors. Both taste great. We've got original, which is like a minty flavor, and then crisp apple. Also, Organifi powders are glyphosate residue free, which is a really big deal when you're buying any superfood powders, especially if you're doing it with the intention of helping you detoxify. So you can head to Organifi.com forward slash funk to save 20%. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash F-U-N-K to save yourself 20%. I'm curious if you're seeing, because this isn't a conversation that you and I have had like offline. So I'm curious if you're seeing similar stuff. I definitely am. And I, I do understand from a, a patient perspective, because I've been there before and I've gotten GI map test results back um, and have been recommended to just kill, kill, kill everything that, that showed up on the GI map. And in reality, this is also why we work on the foundations in practice before or while stool test results are processing, we're working on the food hygiene piece, supporting stomach acid, all of that good stuff. But um, just recently, just in the past month, I have a patient in the one-to-one -one membership where her stool test came back with a, a parasite. It came back with some H. pylori. It came back with some bad bacteria, but she also had 
low digestive enzymes, low um, secretory IgA, which is a marker of like digestive immunity and a risk factor for a leaky gut, all of that good stuff. And she had low beneficial bacteria. And mm. we reviewed through the results. And we said for this next month, we're really going to focus on building you back up, laying those foundations, supporting the beneficial bacteria, supporting digestion, and just giving the immune system some time to rest and rebuild. And that totally resonated with her. And then she took those results to her GI and was recommended like to go on multiple rounds of antibiotics to address what was seen. And there was a little bit of panic from her, what do I do? And the more that she sat with it, it's, she's like, okay, I want to take this low and this slow approach in terms of let's build you up. Let's support what we can and see how your body responds before we go in really heavy handed with antibiotics or antimicrobials. Yeah. It's just those aggressive approaches can be, can be sometimes problematic, like aggressive approach to killing things off can have aggressive downstream effects, collateral damage, if you will. And I love what you said about like actually putting it in the patient's lap. That is something like I have said, you know, if, you know, if I have a old client listening to this, I might've said this to you. It's like, we have two approaches here. You know, we've, here's the data and we have two approaches here. This is one. And then this is the other. Like when I say this, like, does something like feel right and true to you? Does something like feel like a better approach to you? And there has been, have been some people that are like, I am ready to get better. And I'm like, let's go. I want it gone. Like, let's take the aggressive approach. And then there have been people like, I, I really like this kind of like calm, like slow, you know, huh. Rome wasn't built in a day approach. So I think deferring yeah. to the person's like own intuition is, is huge in some, in some cases. I like to pull that into practice quite a lot. So this uh, GI map is a stool test. How is this different than if somebody went to a gastroenterologist and got a stool test? Like what is the difference between a conventional stool test and more of a functional stool test? Obviously there's a bazillion different options for stool testing. We like GI map. We probably don't have the time to get into the, the whys of why we choose this specific one, but I can guarantee it is done with intentionality. We have a lot of experiences with this. We've had a lot of conversations. We've done a lot of research. We've tried other labs and Rachel and I both keep coming back to GI map. Yeah. I'd say conventional stool tests oftentimes are looking for those really acute pathogens or parasites. Things like Giardia, Salmonella, C. diff, things that are, to, that are going to create this acute gastroenteritis type of a profile or like food poisoning type of symptoms. And oftentimes they're missing, they're, they're really not testing for your levels of good bacteria or these opportunists, these problematic bacteria that aren't quite pathogens or parasites as well. Um, I would say that's the biggest difference. And then on the GI map, the, I think the profile that you and I love the most are those inflammatory markers and the digestive health that can really, that, that really set the GI map apart from conventional testing too. So we're looking at how is a patient producing their digestive enzymes? How are they digesting their fats? Is there any undigested fat in the stool? There's that secretory IgA marker. I know you've touched on this quite a handful of times on the podcast, but a marker of your digestive immune system function. There is a marker called calprotectin, which is tested conventionally as well. It looks at 
inflammatory activity in the colon. And am I missing anything on that intestinal health panel? I think you covered it. There's a, there's, yeah, the eosinophil protein. It's a new protein that they've added to look if there's like a true histamine allergic type of a reaction in the gut. So that is, I'd say that part of the panel is, is amazing, but yeah, there's a a pretty big discrepancy between the two for sure. And the, uh, traditionally the labs that you're like a gastroenterologist would order are, um, culture. So they're like taking like a, basically a piece of your stool, they're culturing it to see what grows on it. And, um, the, just, it's like a different technology. It's a different approach with some of the functional lab testing too. Um, so what we're able to see more different options. Um, you had said that, so a GI map can be helpful if there's ongoing GI symptoms, um, you also said in cases of autoimmunity for ongoing hormonal issues, skin issues, did you say food sensitivities? Definitely. That is a biggie as well. If people are getting more and more reactive to foods that they're eating, we're thinking about why are they losing this oral tolerance to foods? And oftentimes that ties back to the weakened digestive immunity. That secretory IgA can be really therapeutic here as well. If somebody came to you and had a crap ton of food sensitivities, not just like I can't eat dairy without a tummy tummy ache, but like I have like 10 foods I can eat safely. Are you thinking we got to do food sensitivity testing or are you thinking more we should take a peek at what's happening at the microbiome level and like the digestive capacity? I'm thinking more about what's going on from digestive capacity, what's going on with the microbiome. I'm thinking about what's going on with the immune system as a whole. Um, It's not about identifying more foods that this patient can't eat. It's how can we support your digestion and your absorption so that you can properly break down the foods that you're eating so that you can have less of an immune system reaction. If we need to address the gut lining, if we need to address secretory IgA, we can definitely take that approach. Um, That is hypothetically, the perfect patient who probably would not tolerate the tons of antimicrobials or antibiotics right away because their immune system reactivity is just so heightened as well. Um, Okay. So then let's cruise on to, because we were kind of talking about food sensitivities anyway, and I already mentioned the wheat zoomer. I know that we both use this a lot in practice. Why do you, can I just, I have to say this disclaimer, there has been, so Wheat Zoomer is by a company called Vibrant Wellness, and there has been some weird stuff happening with that company. So I, as it stands right now, I still, we still like the Wheat Zoomer. We still use the Wheat Zoomer. I cannot say that categorically, uh, like across the board about all of their labs, Um I really hope that they like work themselves out because I like a lot of their labs, but for now we're still using the wheat zoomer. We do not use their stool test. Um, just to be very, very, very clear. So wheat zoomer, why do you like it? What do you, what do you use it for? Like in what scenarios would be like this, this patient needs a wheat zoomer. I am thinking about a wheat zoomer. If a patient has unexplained food reactions, um, if they are suspicious about having a reaction to gluten in their diet. Um, I have some patients who come to me who are like, I think gluten might be an issue for you, for mm-hmm. me, but I'm not sure. I eat it sporadically. This can just be that 
circling back to the behavior change, this can be the thing that motivates them to be like, oh, hey, wow, you literally do have an issue with gluten. This creates a pretty big immune system reaction. Um, yeah, it's, it's really about validating our patients' experiences who are suspicious about gluten in their diet, or if I'm personally suspicious that they might have a reaction to gluten. Um, the weed zoomer also does take a look at intestinal permeability. This is another way of saying leaky gut. And it looks at various parts of the gut lining and if there is destruction or damage there. So it can definitely be a great tool. My disclaimer here is if your patient's already gluten-free or if you as the individual are gluten-free and you don't really have plans to change your diet and you don't mind that way of eating, then this test is not a priority of yours whatsoever. That makes sense. Um, I also like to see this if we see thyroid antibodies present mm -hmm. and yeah. somebody is like, like, you know, should I be gluten-free? Should I not be gluten-free? Like, I really like to do this, this test as well. So we can kind of, you know, so they, they have some data to work with, um, and feel more confident 100%. in making that decision for themselves. And oftentimes with a Hashimoto's, uh, situation or with thyroid antibodies, we will see elevations on the wheat tumor that their immune system 100%. is reacting to peptides within gluten and within wheat. Yes, exactly. And then any other like go-to favorite labs that you have? I would say circling back to the tox panel or like a mycotox panel, this is definitely not usually the first test I order. Um, on occasion it is if I'm doing a history with a patient and they've they've seen multiple clinicians, they've done the typical functional medicine workup and things just aren't moving the needle and the other clinicians or the patients themselves have expressed concern about is there mold going on. I ask a lot of questions as it relates to timeline with patients as I'm working with them. Usually my first appointment, I'm unpacking their timeline from childhood to current day and sometimes they'll say, oh, it was in 2007 when X, Y, and Z, these symptoms started. And I'm like, okay, what happened around that time? And they're like, oh yeah, we moved to this new new place or I had a surgery or something happened in their timeline that makes me think something in terms of toxicity or environmentally might be driving their profile. Um, and so again, not usually the first test that I run, but if the needle isn't moving as expected, if patients aren't responding to therapy as expected, sometimes I'll go here or sometimes we go straight into this if there's concern for the environment. Um, that all makes sense. I would say that mold is, I'm not, I like everybody moldy goes to Rachel. <laughs> Rachel's <laughs> our mold girl for sure. Um, but what I will say is that to, uh, for my labs, organic acid, I'm kind of like a fair weather friend with organic acids because mm -hmm. sometimes we go through phases of just like absolutely loving that test. And then sometimes I'm like, eh. Um, but, and it's like, you know, it's probably around a $300 test, maybe $350. It's not inexpensive. Um, I kind of rotate between, is it Genova? Genova's yeah. lab? And then mm -hmm. Great Plains, um, kind of depending on what I'm looking for. When I'm talking up, um, mm -hmm. looking at Great Plains, they definitely have more fungal and even uh, like mold markers. So I think that when we find something relevant, it's totally worth the money. And then sometimes we run that lab and there's like crickets. So there's like nothing. And I'm like, oh man, we just spent like $300. 
and didn't really get any information. So that's why I kind of go back and forth, but I really love the Great Plains one for the fungal markers. Um, mm -hmm. Cause fungus can be hard to find, like a candida can be hard to find on a stool test and it can be a big part of the clinical picture. So if I'm suspecting it and we haven't found it on a stool test, but they're just, they have kind of like fungal like symptoms, that's when I'm more inclined to order an organic acid test. And that Great Plains can really give kind of a nod to mold. So some of the, there's a couple like aspergillus markers, for example. Mm -hmm. So if that part of the test is like kind of like lit up, then I'm more likely to be like, oh, we should probably test for mold. Like I wouldn't use an organic acid test to assess for mycotoxins, but I would use it as a way to be like, oh, mm -hmm. maybe we do need to look into mycotoxins. There's also a marker on the Great Plains oat um, that I'm pretty sure Genova doesn't have, which is oxalates. Um, oxalates, mm -hmm. we can consume oxalates through food, but they can also be produced by yeast. So that's like another like head nod to the fact that there might be some yeast going on. And then the, the rest of the test, we, they, there's some nutri uh, nutrient markers, there's some neurotransmitters, methylation markers, detoxification, mitochondrial markers. So it can show some cool things. Um, I will say historically, the biggest clinical utility that I've gotten out of organic acid tests is like to look for fungus. Um, mm -hmm. Thoughts on that? I know it's not one that you use all the time, but you definitely have experience using them. 100%. And same concept there is if, if someone's presenting with yeasty symptoms and it's not showing up on stool testing, and that's when I think organic acid testing can be very therapeutic as well. And I like it because it's a urine test. So pretty easy to collect as well. Yeah, super easy. A lot of information for like a urine mm -hmm. sample. Um, I'm also going to throw in SIBO breath tests. A lot of people don't like them. A lot of people, a lot of clinicians won't run them. They're like, they're not reliable. I like to know what I'm working with. Like I really, I, I would say that I run a SIBO breath test on a fair amount of clients, especially if they're presenting with that like bloating picture. I like look pregnant. I have this stomach distension. Um, I want to, I want to know what's going on, um, in the small intestine because, the approach is going to be a little different than if I just find dysbiosis on a GI map. So I'm a big fan of a SIBO breath test. Um, we will do trio smart if I suspect hydrogen sulfide. So a traditional SIBO breath test is looking at methane gas and hydrogen gas, whereas the trio smart allows us to assess for that hydrogen sulfide. Totally different treatment strategies if that is positive. Um, the trick is that there's two different um, mediums. Is that like, what's the, what's the word for the solution solutions? Yeah. Um, that you can, cause you have to drink a solution. And so you can do lactulose or glucose. Um, and that, that, that the trio smart, you can have like a little bit of a hard time getting your hands on the lactulose. So just kind of keep that in mind. And that's the one that's definitely more preferred for a, mm -hmm. uh, more like a, the result that more reliable result. Gosh, <laughs> words are not, not a great day to record a podcast. Um, interestingly enough, when we had Mark Pimentel on uh, for an FNA masterclass, humble brag, uh, when I was talking to Dr. Mark Pimentel, <laughs> uh, I, we, asked, we asked about treating. So he, or uh, testing. 
his philosophy, because I'm like, do you always test for SIBO before you treat? And he said for his recurring SIBO patients, Mm -hmm. he's like, I just default to the patient. They know when their SIBO has come back and we just treat. I take a different approach in my practice. I don't like to treat things that I don't have evidence that they're there, but obviously my practice is very different than Pimentel's himself. He tends to get uh, the the recurring SIBO people, like the, the people who are really, really, really struggling. Um, so, mm-hmm. But I thought that that was a relevant and interesting piece of information to bring into the mix. Um Pretty much I agree with everything Rachel said, the blood sugar market, <laughs> you know, I mean, it would probably be a problem if we had wildly different opinions yeah. on what labs to test. We probably wouldn't be working together. Um, you know, we got to shut out the Dutch test. I love me a Dutch. The, the reason that I really love a Dutch test is because people are not great at gauging their own stress levels. Um, people <laughs> are not great. They, they, they will run their shit into the ground and then Mm -hmm. just be like, why do I feel like garbage? And so I love looking at a Dutch test for those stress markers, for the cortisol, for the cortisol awakening response, for the DHEA, for the neurotransmitters. So we can really see like how, how you're living your life is that conducive to your health? And so yeah. I'm a big fan of that test. I mean, for, it obviously looks at so much more than just that, but that's kind of like my favorite thing. And how I address a high cortisol active stress response is going to be very different than how I address a low cortisol burnout depletion picture, right? And that's not just from like a protocol standpoint. That's like how I actually engage with the person sitting in front of me. So I like that data. Um, I really, really do. So those would be mine. That's like what I'm going to throw into the mix. And that's another situation. I like probably sound like a broken record. That's another situation where getting the data can sometimes be the, mm-hmm. like, tell somebody to lower their stress. Like, you know, they're going to like throw up their middle finger at you and be like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> the data, like, yo, you got to slow down. Um, that can be the impetus for behavior change. And so that's what, that's how I love to leverage functional labs is to use them to, um, kind of get people to do what they really need to do to caretake themselves. And sometimes it takes that data, seeing that data. So to wrap it up, um, any last, any last things? I know that there was like a couple of things we wanted to talk about, but I'm keeping my eyeball on the time. So like, give me one example in your head of like the benefit of running a test versus not running a test based, like instead of going off of symptoms. I would say, um, I had, a, I had this patient, we, she had these cyclical symptoms, um, moodiness, breast tenderness, histamine issues, all of the things that pointed us towards estrogen dominance. You would anticipate, okay, she has estrogen dominance and or low progesterone. And I was like, before we treat, before we assume anything, let's let's test your hormones. Let's actually take a look at what's going on. And turns out she had great progesterone levels, very healthy estrogen levels and metabolism. And long story short, it turns out she had mold. She was 
she had mold toxicity that was driving a lot of these symptoms. And so these, these symptoms that flared, they, they occurred around times when estrogen was higher in the body, but she, she actually wasn't estrogen dominant surprisingly. And so in that case, I'm so, so happy we didn't put her on DIM or put her on Vitex or something that wasn't warranted. And for her running these tests was very much worth it and, and validating as well. So I'd say that's a biggie for me for sure. Yeah. That's like a good case for test. Don't guess. Um, offhand, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, a, a client, we ran a GI map on her, she had a lot of digestive stuff going on, a lot of constipation. And I was like, oh, it could be methane SIBO, you know, that whole thing. And long mm-hmm. story short, she just had extremely low beneficial species, just like yeah. really low. So had we done some type of antimicrobial protocol, that would have pushed her like, you know, okay. in the wrong direction. What she needed was mm-hmm. more re- restoration. She needed probiotics and prebiotics and polyphenols to like feed out the good mm-hmm. bacteria. Um, so we are big advocates for testing. If you want to learn how to run these functional labs in your own practice, not only when, like how to discern when, but how to interpret them, how to build protocols and direct treatment plans around this, the Functional Nutrition Academy is where to do that. We are open for enrollment. Classes start April 1st. Uh, you can fill out an application form, schedule a call with Rachel. She can talk you through whether or not it's going to be a good fit for you. And if you're like, I'm not a practitioner, but I do need to get healthy, our <laughs> membership is also open for enrollment. So you can fill out an application form. We'll link all the stuff up in the show notes and uh, see if you'd be a good fit for working with Rachel. So anyway, that's it. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.